Our second scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. You can follow along in the New Testament, or I'm sorry, in the Old Testament of your pew Bible. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temples. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of God's glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And God said, Go, and say to this people, Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull, and stop their ears, and shut their eyes, so that they may not look with their eyes, or listen with their ears, and comprehend with their minds, and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate, until the Lord sends everyone far away, and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ, among us. Please pray with me. God, may the meditations of my lips, combined with the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week, it was tongues of fire, and this week, well, just when you thought it was safe to enter a worship space, we hear today's strange tale about God meeting Isaiah in the temple, winged creatures flying about, singing and slinging hot coals, which culminates in a famous call narrative to preach a failed ministry that will continue until the earth is scorched, leaving only a stump and only a fraction of the population, 10%, Will remain. And who in their right mind would sign themselves up for such a task? Here I am, right. Some of us might prefer our here I am with a few caveats. One Methodist pastor suggests there's no way he'd be able to say here I am after all the ruckus that just took place in the temple. 
You know how some Bibles give you all sorts of notes about a text? Well, he would like to insert a few footnotes to help make the biblical narrative a bit more inviting and realistic. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Insert footnotes A, B, and C. And I said, Here I am. Send me. Footnote A. Some authorities add, And I looked around, hoping the seraph did not mean me. But it became clear I was the only one in the throne room of the Holy of Holies. Or footnote B. Others include, And verily, Desirous of pleasing the Lord and yet fearful of making a mistake, I kept mute until a seraph smote me with its sixth wing. Or C, a few reliable sources instead read, and I said, why not choose Hosea or Jeremiah? I predict predict they will be excellent prophets for any task the Lord God Almighty might desire. Or perhaps extra lines are not needed at all but rather an awkward pause. Who will go for us? Don't make eye contact. And surely if Isaiah knew what was coming, he would have skipped worship altogether that day. He would have walked right on past the entryway to the temple and just kept walking to his favorite tea house and spent the Sabbath catching up on the latest gossip and news. And who would blame him? But rather, we celebrate this ancient call story partially because of Isaiah's prompt and bold response. He responds to a need, to God's wondering, without God asking him directly. He volunteers. The brief story of how he winds up volunteering and agreeing to live out God's call is quite an amazing journey. It might not be Isaiah's first encounter with God, but it is surely the most dramatic and functions as his official call narrative. Every prophet has one. This is the story a prophet points to when he needs to claim authority or remind himself why he's working so hard. Isaiah has already been in the trenches a bit with God and the people of Israel. His prophetic voice has, in the first five chapters, given us the powerful words of God's anger at burned offerings when God would rather they search for justice and help the oppressed. Protect those who are orphaned, and plead the case of those who are widowed. Isaiah's already given the famous image of beating swords into plowshares, and he's told the story about the harvest of wild grapes. And then one day, Isaiah has an awe-inspiring encounter with the living God unlike anything that has happened before. God fills the temple and more. The foundations quake and rattle, and smoke hangs in the air. And seraphs, these mysterious, monstrous, fiery creatures, turn up occasionally in God's presence. Note these are not the slender angels with harps, although, thanks to religious art, they do morph into angels many centuries later. The seraphs are multitasking. They cover themselves with two sets of wings out of decorum and decency, while simultaneously beating the air with a third set of wings and singing their praises to God. And while we're on the subject of seraphs, you might care to know that some scholars suggest that the seraphs are shrieking. Perhaps they are in pain from being so close to God's immense holiness. Or perhaps it's just the way of it with fiery creatures. Who's to say? So when we sing holy, 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 or any hymn for that matter, 
you can feel free to sing out without concern for how you sound. There's biblical precedent right here for simply letting it rip. God doesn't seem to mind at all. And in the midst of this chaotic praising, holy, 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 Isaiah recognizes God's majesty surrounding and overwhelming him. He realizes he has come into the presence of God in a new and special way. And in the presence of such raw power and emotion, Isaiah responds, woe is me. Indeed, for who is not a sinner with unclean lips? What else can one say or do in comparison? Isaiah knows his people are not responding to God's will. That's partially why he's a prophet, bringing a challenging word back to his country. War is on the horizon. Treaties and pacts are being made. And Isaiah knows that the country continues to stray from the type of community that God desires. He knows his people are not likely to repent and be healed anytime soon. And he's a part of that community. I am unclean. I am unworthy. I am part of my community. And we don't always get it right. Not even close sometimes. Christian tradition looks to this passage, to this process, as an example and pattern for worship. Because he starts there and Isaiah ends up volunteering and saying yes. We begin by naming God and praise the mystery of God. Sanctus, Latin for holy, is a hymn that is typically sung or said as a part of the ritual surrounding the sacraments of communion. It comes from the seraphs, holy, holy, holy. Listen for it later this morning. Acknowledging and praising God leads to recognize the difference between ourselves and God's amazing holiness. The recognition leads to a confession of how we fall short of God's glory, how we are perfectly imperfect. God's grace gives us an assurance of pardon, a hot coal on the lips, and then we humans are able to listen to and respond to God's literal words, or in our case, God's word is proclaimed in scripture. And it is this turning point, perhaps the most famous image in this passage, when the seraph takes the live ember out of the altar fire and touches it to Isaiah's lips, assuring him that his guilt is forgiven. Let it go. You are purified and blameless. You are forgiven. God's forgiveness, God's amazing grace and desire for reconciliation is seared into Isaiah's life. He's touched, painfully perhaps, and deeply. So much so that a change occurs and he can now hear God talking, wondering aloud about God's plans and desires for creation. What is it that burns into our life, that sears our soul? What love, what relationship, has the capacity to move and recreate lives toward greater peace and justice for all, but the grace of the Holy One. This passage reminds me of other passages in Scripture that ask us to make God's love, God's laws, and ways part of our being. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand in Deuteronomy 6. Write them on the tablet of your heart, Proverbs 7. Love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength or mind, Matthew and Luke. And that love in each case leads us to loving others. It moves us out of ourselves and toward community. It moves Isaiah to jump at the first opportunity to serve. 
It leads him forward into the painful, dark, problematic places. Yet it's a path that leads towards hope, towards a promise of rebirth with a God who stays with us and loves us through the valleys and the shadow periods. We try to come together on Sunday mornings and practice this structure. We try to do it intentionally. We practice a worship order, a sanctus, a confession, leading us to response in the word. We do this in our worship order, our liturgy, because we trust that it reflects the lived experience of not only Isaiah, but other faithful people over the centuries. It may seem intuitive to those of us who grew up in a liturgical church service, or for those of us who've had personal encounters with, the God, with God along these same lines. But it is not always easy. It does not come naturally to most. An old rancher once said that he'd rather be whipped with a wet rope than confess his sins each week. Confession can be ugly, and forgiveness can be one of the toughest acts imaginable. I read recently that a high tolerance for mistakes is required for a community to be good at forgiveness. Forgiveness starts with ourselves and takes practice. And we practice together in the hope that the order becomes a rhythm. And not just for one hour on Sundays, but as a way of living. With practice, the worship rhythm becomes part of how we experience life becomes a way of living that helps us become more aware of God's holiness. It's a circle that feeds back on itself. Worship becomes an orientation rather than a destination, a lifestyle that helps us put ourselves in the best state to be able to say, holy, 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 or here I am. We, the church, honor the call to faithful living together. We equip ourselves to point towards the Holy Spirit's movements, God's voice, and we try to do what Jesus would do. We distinguish ourselves from a philanthropic club with good intentions when we take on the difficult, life-changing, and life-affirming tasks in God's name. For whenever we do this, whenever we tear down walls that separate us from one another, or acknowledge, and we acknowledge our own or another's full humanity, we tear down and we make bold statements and take big risks. When we forgive harms that deserve retribution, when we try something new, we feel called towards that scares us, like teaching, graduating, changing careers. When we go out into the community and volunteer to help strangers or invite strangers inside for a hot meal, and when we work to turn swords into plowshares and praise God by working for justice and the end of oppression. When people do these type of acts, when change occurs, we know from experience that it is painful work. People's ears are closed and their eyes are shut. And yet still, God demands for just living. And God's demand continues. For ours is not a play-it-safe God. Worship, in Isaiah's context, leads to painful work to reconcile the way life is with the way life ought to be. But even when people's ears are closed and their eyes are shut, how long, O oh Lord? It's been over 2,700 years since, it's, since this has come from Isaiah, and yet we still have work to do.
we still have a faith to practice. And fortunately, we are part of a community and a tradition who dares to respond to God's stirrings in our lives with a response of, here we are, Lord. Here we are, Lord. And may we go back out into the community with a holy, holy, holy orientation. Amen.